Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. Welcome to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. Today, we're joined by Dr. Lewis Chen, who is a Dental Amigos podcast listener. So uh, yes, happy to have Yes, one of him. our fans. There you go. So if you if you listen, you may, you too may be on the show someday, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, Dr. Chen is a young entrepreneurial dentist, uh, graduated from the Columbia University College of Dental Medicine, where he graduated at the top of his class with highest honor and the distinction was inducted into the renowned National Dental Honor Society, Omicron Kappa Upsilon. After completing his uh, dental uh, school career, he completed a residency at the Bronx VA, a program known to be an extremely competitive and comprehensive program with a focus on full mouth reconstructions, prostodontics, and surgery. And during his residency, Dr. Chen moonlighted in private practice, co-founded a dental tech startup, which he left and then started his own dental practice, which he began from renting a chair in another office. Uh, soon after completing his residency, he embarked on a journey to multi-practice ownership with his partners by building a de novo ground-up storefront practice in the heart of New York City in Greenwich Village, and at the same time, acquired a practice in Edgewater, New Jersey. Uh, Dr. Chen has always had a pension for teaching since his high school years, and that includes working through college as well as through dental school. And through that commitment to education, he assumed the role as one of the youngest faculty members at Columbia University. And now, without further ado, here's Dr. Lewis Chen. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks for the great introduction. I think so. I'm happy to be on board, and uh, it's, it's nice to be a listener now being interviewed for it, so I'm excited. Yeah, it's, it's a hard-hitting podcast, uh, Louis. So I always like to ask, you know, you're, you're uh, up there in New York City. If I, if I came up and I said, hey, Louis, let's go for nachos, where would you pick to go, and uh, what topping would you go with? So you know, one of the one of the good places in uh, for, for 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 tacos and tacos or nachos. You mean either either or? Either or, matter. like them both. Either or. So there's a place called Rosa Mexicano in Columbus Circle. Yeah, I've been and there. It's been there, right? Yeah, it's, good it's, spot. They're, they're, it's great. Uh, the seasonal thing they have uh, uh, I, a guacamole ice cream. Wow. Avocado ice cream. I don't know if you've had it. Uh, it just it's come rarely. Uh, it's rarely available. It's uh, very. It's very seasonal. So, um, to that extent, um, I like my um, tacos dipped in that ice cream. Nice. <laughs> I like that. I like the answer. Robert gets some guacamole ice cream. It's different. It's unique, and it's good. Um, favorite topping. Uh, you know, you slap on everything on there, and that's my favorite topping. Nice. Nice that yep. works. I like that. We, we would get along, uh, Lewis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you just, whatever's on the table, I'll just have. <laughs> awesome. 
So I know too, you, you're uh, big into uh, fitness and taking care of yourself. Life is not all nachos, yeah, Paul. Yeah, you right? all nachos. Yeah, yeah. All it's not a healthy, <laughs> yeah. a healthy approach to taking care of yourself. But tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what what you do to, you know, keep your sanity and uh, keep yourself uh, physically together. Um. So previously, I mean, nowadays I've been kind of catching a little bit more on sleep, around six and a half hours. I'm trying to get that number. Um, but prior to that, it was uh, I used to sleep around five and a half hours, five hours on a, on a regular because uh, most of the times I end up doing work too late and I wake up earlier. Uh, I'm not like you where I wake up at four, but I, wake, I used to wake up around 5.15 and then I would spend some time at the gym and get my day started. Um, I think a part of that came from uh, this, prime, this idea of commitment and dedication. Um, a lot of the times, I think I just felt better over, the, over, over, I guess, during my time in dental school. And I was, you know, eating a lot because, you know, school is school. Then you just kept, you need, you need sustenance. So you, all you do is snack, snack, snack. And before you know it, one o'clock, two o'clock hits, and you've just had a Big Mac and uh, from McDonald's, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you wake Clean up, living. you still fall, but you still eat. <laughs> so um, I was really packing on some of the, uh, like, a lot of the food. And um, I decided, you know, I, when I came for studying for boards, I just kind of uh, was focused, and I didn't have my mind always around, you know, munching and snacking. And suddenly, you know, I kind of uh, lost a bit of weight. And I was like, oh, it's pretty sustainable. I didn't feel like I was it had an urge to eat. And then from there on, I just maintained it. And here I am. It's become a lifestyle. It's become a habit. Um, and I think a part of committing to that um, journey of becoming, you know, um, you know, becoming more in tune with myself by keeping myself physically active, uh, I discovered that you know it becomes a part of you, and uh, it's like almost like a thing that you cannot. Uh, removed from your life. Every time I don't go to the gym, I think my energy levels are low. Um, like right now, I haven't gone this morning and my energy level is a lot lower than typically it would be. Um, but I think once I started to see the difference of how become physically active has made an impact on my life, I just made it a, a commitment to kind of continue and do it all the time just for, I think it's at, from a you know, management standpoint, to exude that optimism and you know energy to the team as well. So I, I do it for everyone else, is, and then of course looking good is secondary, but everything else is a lot more important to me, especially my sanity. Yeah, I think it's easy, you know, to fall into the trap of I'm too busy to work out or I'm too busy to eat well or too busy to take care of yourself. But, you know, I tell my uh, my younger attorneys here, like, that's when you absolutely have to take care of yourself when you're too busy or too stressed. And, you know, it's almost counterintuitive from a time standpoint. It's so easy to say, I just don't have time. But the reality is when you get to that point, you don't have time not to do it. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I mean, I've gone through different phases. I think being a dentist, and I maybe mean, personality, is that we have a lot of all or none in us, and it's not very healthy, you know, like, you know, you got to spend seven hours studying and, and three hours at the gym. And I think in my medium age dentist years, uh, Lewis, with my small humans who live in the house, you have to just yeah. develop an attitude where you do something physically active because, you know, what's interesting is I probably, uh, 
you know, we, we think of dental school as the most stressful time in our lives, but it's it's a weird stress. It's different than being a practice owner. You know, this I think your 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 stress level and stress doesn't have to be a bad thing, but your commitments and responsibilities just grow in life, and you just need to figure out a way to infuse you know physical fitness because it's it's uh it's important. And I agree with you when you go. I don't go at your guys' hour. Sometimes Rob sees me. I go first. You know, first for me is not at five a.m. <laughs> Rob, sees me. it does give you more energy. I, I'm, I'm like usually I'm running to Paul. I'm, I'm like in a client meeting yeah. and Paul comes breezing into Starbucks, right? You think of it like a meeting with yourself that's important. And I, I, I've, I've adopted some of the first thing in the morning type of thing. Sometimes your, sometimes your day just gets away from you. Um, I've, I've enjoyed, Louis, you've come to uh, Philadelphia and contributed an awesome implant lecture to our, our Young Dentist Study Club. And you'll be coming to our uh, Boost Festival this week and be a new dentist boost camp. Uh, speaker and I, I just applaud you because I started teaching right after my residency uh, program. So sometimes people think, oh, you know, you're young, you shouldn't be teaching. But I actually think the ex- exact opposite because it keeps you sharp and you know it gives you uh, the students a face that kind of looks like theirs, which is nice. Uh, mine is not looking as as close to theirs as yours is these days. But uh, tell us about your teaching role uh, at Columbia. Yeah, so I uh, think with you, I think that's completely opposite. I think that teaching makes me more alert. It makes me held. It makes me be held accountable for treatment. Um, a lot of the times, I think even being trained as like the VA, you just see so many things that you may not ever see in prior practice. But even then, when you go to dental school, you'll see patients you never see at the VA or residency or prior practice. So you're really getting a. a, a like multitude of kind of uh, patients from different kind of uh, uh, demographics and uh, populations. And I love teaching in Columbia because it's, I, I do it once a week um, at nighttime because uh, I just I want to commit myself to, you know, a consistent number of students who is committed to stay at night to see patients. Um, and teaching has been great because I've been doing it for maybe over 10 years. I just love challenging myself, I think, in order for me to know uh, if I like, know the material, I have to be able to teach it. Um, and I think that, you know, if you ask, and I think it's the way we teach is very, very important. Um, I, I question a lot, and I kind of question uh, students um, and give alternative solutions or alternative approaches to things just to stimulate and stimulate their minds is kind of broaden their vision. Um, even then, I feel like I haven't learned enough. I wish I had done another year at the VA. I mean, it just said there's so many things that I wish I could still learn. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about teaching is that not only are you a teacher, but you're also a student. Right. That's cool. And I think at a certain point, I ask you guys this, too. We've had other guests on that, that, that lecture a lot and that are professors. And, you know, Paul, obviously, you're very involved in that space. Do you feel like at a certain point, it's almost like a mantra? You know, like, you know, if you even though, you know, if you say it enough times to somebody else, then, you know, it just becomes so much more like part of what you do and oh, who you are. Completely. Right? I mean, it, it, I, I think it's, you know, it's the ultimate win win. You know, I, uh, I do a lot with patient communication and making dentist decisions and it just helps me you know practice and say it over again and and then you know it's a um you know when you have a four and a half year old in your house uh, they hear everything so it's a lot of times it's like watching your language around you know four and a half year olds because you're making impression on them so it's just like students like what i can say to a 41 year old dentist like me oh oh, just take this you know shortcut shortcut's not always bad shortcut could be a good thing right but i know that i can't tell a dental student or or a resident to take that same shortcut because they're going to not see the broad picture. And it's just, it's just really, I agree with you. It just help, it helps you just strengthen your dental core. I talk about your dental core. It's kind of like a, a workout thing too. It just strengthens your dental core. 
No, I think you're 100% right. I mean, like a lot of the times, you know, dental students are, you know, in it to really just graduate and get their requirements and kind of get their degree and head out the doors. Um, I think I, I like to tell students, even though they're interested in becoming oral surgeon and periodontist, endodontist, any, anyone really, uh, I, I tell them, you know, the fundamentals really come from here. Um, and that's going to just kind of drive you to do certain treatments a certain way as long as you have the dental core or the fundamentals solid. Um, I think that people are taking shortcuts too early. And it's almost, it, like, again, yeah, it's, it's like a habit, you know. Once they get to the habit of taking shortcuts, the first thing they want to do is how can I do this faster? Um, but they don't, they don't think about doing it well first and doing it well consistently become, before they do it better and faster and perhaps, perhaps you know, starting to cut corners. It really becomes a mindset almost, yeah. right? I mean, it's like if you're going right. to be invested in it, and, and it pays dividends too, I'm sure, totally. right? You know, start doing everything the right way and it just has a, has a big return. Yeah, that, Lewis, I'm into, I'm into words. I just thought of one. Shortcuts, I'm just going to start calling maximum efficiency, right? I'm not taking a shortcut. I'm doing ma- max efficiency. <laughs> but I, to maximum efficiency. I know that, you know, when, you, when you're good at something that you do and you do it all the time because you have a lot of experience, you're not really taking, not as a shortcut, you just know how to, uns, uns, if you get stuck, you can become unstuck because you know what, how to do that if people don't know how to become unstuck they're in their office and they're just stuck and that doesn't you know people think of a procedure but it doesn't always have to be a procedure it could be with treatment planning a patient right it could be with uh, a business idea in your practice it's problem solving right right? yes problem you know say that to your children like what's what's the one the most important skills that you want them to have like you know they can go and memorize times tables or algebra or whatever at the end of the day can you solve a problem and if you can solve problems Things are going to go pretty well for you in life. If you are not a good problem solver, you're going to have a lot of problems. And yeah, I'll just yeah. use one example that I was doing this morning on the way with Daphne to school. And this is something I really commit to myself with because uh, we live in the city. So I never cross the street unless the light's green when I'm with her, even though I will do that myself because I'm just saying... I ask her, tell me when the light's green. And even though it pains me because I'm, I'm, there's no one around, that's just a perfect example because I don't want to give her any thought that she can make a judgment. Because she, that's basically it, Lewis. Yeah. I mean, and you're a young dad. It's like the students can't always make those judgments because they haven't had enough experience. So I mean, that just example kind of drives it home. Well, this morning I walked my daughter to the bus stop. We were running a little late and she asked me, would it be okay if we jaywalked because we're together? <laughs> yeah. And I said, it's okay to jaywalk because you're with me. Yes, yeah, yeah. Same the thing. That's the 13-year-old version of Daphne. No, that, that, that's, that's cool. Hey, and, and Lewis, so uh, as you said, though, that you had a pension for teaching that started back when you were in high school. Uh, tell our listeners about that. Yeah, so back in high school, you know, like like any other high schooler, it's all about how how much money do I have in my pocket so I spend it on food and you know go watch a movie and play some arcade games, right? So for me, when I was a high school student, I was you know, I, I know I did fairly well in you know math the math department and whatnot. So I did a lot of SAT uh, SAT tutoring um, for high school students within the high school. Um, there was like a program in my high school. We I enrolled in it. We were paired with the students, and <clears throat> since then I started my kind of tutoring career there um at first it was like okay here great i spent an hour here i get this hourly you know this hourly rate and i go home great i have money in my pocket now i go spend it right so it's a little bit much uh you know you live paycheck to paycheck paycheck kind of thing it's kind of funny but um and i at a very young age but it's since i was 16 i started doing i think maybe 15 or 16 i started tutoring and then it wasn't until i hit high uh, college where you know tutoring really mattered to me um because um 
when I was in college, I was a commuter. I went to school at NYU. I was an economics major, and you know, I was doing the ec- economics degree uh, requirements, and as well as the sciences for dental school, and uh, you know, plus commuting. That took a lot of ch- a chunk of time. So there was a time in college where you know, my first first semester GPA was a two point eight, uh, almost two point nine. Well, 2.8, 2.9, went around those two, between the two. And and I just sat there, I was kind of tutoring a high school student at the time, was no, maybe two years, three years younger than me. And I sat there, I'm like, how am I able to teach this person something? Maybe it's math, or maybe it could be something else. And I don't actually have command of it, or not like the material. You know, like it wasn't, it was a biology class that I didn't do well in, but I was teaching math. But by and large, the concept of teaching, you know, it was a premise and a principle behind it, right? So when I started teaching, I figured this is, I cannot be teaching someone anything if I don't know how to teach myself. And if I cannot learn science, then I cannot learn uh, the material to teach someone something. So what I did was I pulled back a little bit my teaching tutoring career and kind of reevaluated myself, took a break, you know, went on vacation with my family, came back and we just hit the second second sophomore year of college strong. Then I went got a 3.9, 3.8, 3.9, straight across the board until I graduated. And it all boiled down to my fundamentals, my, my, my own personal philosophy, which was, um, if I am going to commit myself to something, to a goal, or whether it's teaching, tutoring, whatever it may be, I better be good at that because otherwise I'm kind of um, not meeting my expectations. So immediately after, I actually found a lot more joy in tutoring. In fact, I started teaching more. I took on more students privately, and I became a tutor in college. So I was working two part-time jobs, almost three, and commuting and doing those high-end, uh, higher advanced courses. Um, and from here on out, I it just I just realized that I just personally grew so fast just because it, I had that revelation of why can I I can't be doing this just for the sake of making a dollar or two right it, it for me it was more like now I do it because I really like doing it and uh, and since then I've been tutoring and as soon as I hit residency I finished my private tutoring kind of uh, uh, sessions and hours I went straight to teaching at Columbia and then since then I continued to teach. Yeah, that's really cool. That's, yeah, that, that's great. And I think you just shared something important is that, you know, we, even with sophomore year in college, that just because you're not doing as well as you want to do in something doesn't mean that you can't. It's one of the, I don't know if you guys watch some of my videos that I make my daughter do where I say, this is dental school. None of you saw, I think I tagged Lewis on Instagram. I said, this is dental school teaching of how to ride a balance bike. They got bikes with no, no uh, pedals now. Do you guys know that? <laughs> it's crazy. The balance bike versus being supportive. And, and it's a joke, but it's meaningful because... I think too often that we we don't embrace that enough of, you know, it's it's normal not to be good at something for a variety of reasons, but you can make yourself better. And I think as we, that's a good segue into telling us, Lewis, a little bit, you know, so you do all this, you know, you work hard, you go to dental school, you do your residency, and now you own a practice and everything's just easy, right? You work like nine to three, you sit back and relax and collect giant checks. Everyone gets along. You got the dream. No podcast over, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, as, as everyone may already know, or maybe the people who want to know but don't know is that 
everything outside of that is completely the opposite. It's <laughs> 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 nothing like rainbows and sunshine. It's 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 a lot of rain, a lot of stormy weather, and then <laughs> you're waiting for the clouds to pass until the sun comes. And but part of it is sometimes nice to sit in the sun, uh, in the rain. You know, it's um it's it's fun to wait for the, the clouds to pass and then suddenly get you know hit by the rate of sunlight. Um, it, it it is completely opposite of what people may think about you know the practice ownership um i personally had this vision when i was in college uh of multi-practice ownership maybe around my sophomore year in college actually and i i just didn't know when i was going to pursue it and uh, i luckily had partners where um who were supporting me and they wanted to partake in this journey and we both you know joined forces and uh and actually uh, two others um so a total of three we joined forces and then yeah we just decided to um, build a practice and buy a practice um two separate two separate things though (laughs) the the one in the city i have two other partners and the one in new jersey i have one other partner um but uh yeah and it's it's a complete opposite it's you can walk in, you think you know things because now you're a doctor, you can you do, you do clinical dentistry, you think you know everything because you're poor, of course, now you're the big man in the office, um, but when it all comes to your hands uh, you want and then things don't work out, you're scratching your head half the time. But I really enjoy that part. Because, I call it, um, I call it, uh, so Todd, I mean, I'm, uh, we had Todd Fleischman on, reminds me, but uh, Rob here, I'm, I'm their main, main client. I come here, I'm the top client. Uh, I have an award, <laughs> a hat I wear when I'm here, number one client, it's got beer in it. I no, but I, uh, you know, he has attorneys here and a team. But what's interesting, and I mean, I just like to, you know, share this with the listeners. And Rob is like, to do the dental job, you need so many people on your team. It's a very complex thing to be a dentist. And I call it like, I hope my phone doesn't go off between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. Because I'll say, oh, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Up, oh, my hygienist has a, a sick child. Up, oh, okay, well, that's not so good. It's going to be a good day. going to be a good day. My assistant has this. And a lot of these are unavoidable life issues. But it's right. just, it's very difficult. It's, I mean, I, I played sports growing up. And uh it's like I, I I didn't play football, but I just imagine football is a very complex sport. I mean, there's so many people on the team, right? But you yeah. know, basketball is a different type of sport, and it's just that that's the challenge of practice ownership is that you just open your eyes and you're just not sure what's going to happen. And the majority of these hurricanes or tornadoes or clouds are non-dental ones, right? They're they're yeah. more management ones. Which Lewis, I know you're back in dental school. Uh, teaching, so I'm just going to ask you because you're, you're you're the closest one we got. I'm going to teach a residency <laughs> program. They're teaching a lot of business now, right? Because they realize we haven't taught businesses for 50 years, so we're going to put it in their curriculum now. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, they they, they kind of just kind of uh, sprinkle it. <laughs> I can best describe it. When I was in dental school, they sprinkle some of that stuff, uh, but it has nothing to do with the business at all. Actually, it had nothing to do with uh, at least when I was taught. Um, it was just like here's the future. Here's what exists now. Here's some things you should think about. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. So where did you kind of acquire your information and sort of some of your your skills and tools to, uh, from a business standpoint, to prepare you for, for practice ownership? Um, I, I, to be honest, a lot of it came from my, from, from my personal uh, motivation to want to be a practice, ownership, uh, practice owner, but at the same time, 
I like to do startups. I like the idea of innovation and being uh, forward thinking. So I started my initial entrepreneurship kind of like journey by listening to like uh, podcasts uh, to start. It had nothing to do with Dento. It was uh, just how I built this by Guy Raz. And it talked about all these big multi-million billion dollar companies industries uh, that talked about how they all started and it's really inspiring to see that all these people just kind of did things by chance and by luck and there's is a common theme and motif so I figured why not I do it I mean I'll figure it out eventually I feel like that in, in the dental industry I get so much support so many resources like other podcasts like your podcast like Mark Costas's podcast so on so on and so forth I learned a lot through kind of the ropes just kind of like Having it's like uh, it's like a deck of cards thrown on the, on, on the table. You may not know what you're going to get, but it's there. You know, you just got to keep you know selecting some cards, and you just pick it, so you have a nice hand. But um, there are so many resources out there. There's there's not um, a, uh, a scarcity of it. So I just think that people need to be committed to it. I know that in this day and age, people are so uh, distracted with those you know, you know things. Uh, there's so many things people. Are Overstimulated that they're not focused on the things that could matter to them more, right? I mean, in my in my eyes, like being a practice owner and and running a business and uh, supporting my dreams was my thing. But you know, it wasn't one. I didn't want to just prep teeth all day. One of the you things know, you like said that. there, and I, I love how I built this. Did you did you listen to the Peloton episode recently on that one? Uh, which one? Which on one? how I built this with Guy Raz, the Peloton. Uh, oh. No, I haven't listened to that. that. That's no. one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Yeah. But I think it's good for dentistry because, you know, uh, Rob does so much with startups. And that really is a startup is like that, you know. And I just think they should be sharing with the dental students that these are the type of muscles you're going to need to exercise to be successful. Uh, and the Peloton one, I just really like. My brother sent to me. My brother actually is one. Of, this is a real real story. He's one of the best Peloton riders in the whole U.S. So That, that is not a joke. Not yeah, a joke. Yeah, right yeah. Now, He's now, one of the yeah. top yeah. Uh, so thousands. Yeah. So, so he... he uh, you know, uh, turned me on to this this podcast. The guy from Peloton who who uh, who uh, built it, and that's what you have to do when you're doing a startup because it's it's a long journey. And I just think dental students, you know, every the way we're trained, you know, Lewis, and you could tell us too. It's like we want things to be perfect, we want things to be right, we want things to go in a straight direction, and we kind of freak out when it doesn't, right? And yeah. building a startup business, and you know, Rob does dental practices with Ideal Practices, I know you, I wanna hear more about your opportunities, it's it's literally the exact opposite of that, you know? It it moves in, in uh, you know, the, the progress can be uh, a lot one month, none the next month, and you really have to have a lot of mental flexibility to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, especially since I acquired a practice and started a practice, like, trends are in progress, is so variable. <laughs> one week is good, the next week is not. One month is good, the next is not. Um, and it's all relative, and I think that, uh, yeah, like you said, having that kind of flexibility and being able to be flexible is really important, because um, it gives people in your team some sort of relief. Um, so that they can, I, I mean, personally, I believe that keeping them a form of relief will have them, will allow them to optimize, optimize their time at the office because they're less uh, focused on delivering goals and numbers all the time, but more like because they want to be there and they'll be happy to deliver those numbers. So I have a, I have a strong, uh, I believe in work culture a lot. I think that developing the team uh, on a personal level as well as a team level is really, really important. 
Yeah, and Lisa Mergens obviously has been on our show, and she's a, a big proponent uh, of that. And it and it's true. And I think too, it's just you know, with a lot of people, it's a difference between having a fixed uh, mindset or a growth mindset. You know, yeah. and, and a lot of people cringe and they say, "Well, what's dentistry going to look like ten years from now?" You know, and my answer is. It's going to be different, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah, going to be different, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, you have to be able to to adapt in, in any business, you know. And anybody that thinks that things are not going to change is in for a big surprise, and you get left behind. And I think that's the type of culture that you can imprint on your practice, which is one of the great things about being a professional who owns their their practice. Yeah. You know, you have the ability to imprint what you want on on your practice to make it what you want and and what you know you want lewis for your practice can be different from what paul wants and different from what i want but we could all do do it the way we want to do it how we want to do it with the people that we want to do it with and you know i think you know and i tell people that that's the most rewarding part of of professional practice ownership you know? yeah. That's what I was going to say yeah. to say to, to Robin. I mean, I, I've liked the ABC. I'm I always like always be changing. As opposed to dental school, never change. You're going to fail, which is just bad advice. And uh, I think that's the exciting part. And one of the things you know, I've, I've liked getting to know you, Lewis, and that you know people from the podcast is that preparing for the future doesn't mean things are going bad now. It just means you're preparing. And, you know, I think that's some of the fun part. So tell us a little bit about this practice model that you have in in New York. It sounds sounds very interesting. I'd like to learn more about that. Yeah, so, you know, I've always been a firm proponent of uh, increasing access to care. I mean, some of that philosophy kind of trickled down from uh, uh, my time when I was doing some uh, volunteer work across borders uh, in Honduras in college and in Dominican Republic when I was at dental school. So increased access to care has been always been um, something that I've always wanted to pursue, uh, even for myself, my business, uh, or my, my business itself. Um, in New York, uh, we, we provide uh, Invisalign uh, whitening and hygiene. Uh, we believe that, if you have, as you may already know, Invisalign is such a very, it, this orthodontic treatment, clear line of therapy is extremely expensive in New York City, um, everywhere rather. Uh, that market rate is around seven to eight, even you know, upwards to that, uh, upwards to like maybe $10,000 a case. Um, so we believed in becoming um, a bit more affordable to break down the barriers to entry for the consumers so that, you know, consumers can access good, high-quality dentistry, uh, clear and liner therapy if they want, and uh, make them get the smile they deserve. So um, we've reduced our rates to the point that's competitive to the new metropolitan area, and we believe in... Uh, being on a store on the ground floor is a form of accessibility, and uh, so we have this 2,000 square feet practice with six chairs, um, and it's glass doors and everything like that, and uh, that's where we are. That's awesome. And as, as we get into our, our nerdy dental talk that Rob loves, and I'm just uh, joking that I, I love this idea, and I mean I've had some ideas like this over my you know past few years of why I think these these things are really make sense. Uh, from a consumer and dentist standpoint. So let's say someone comes in for a cleaning and I'm just, just a dentist question. They need a crown. Where do you send them? So any preventative stuff that's uh, basic and minimal, like for instance, crowns and fillings that can be done in-house uh, because we have an iTero scanner, we can scan our uh, cases and be sent to a lab as needed. So we are digit uh, impression free here. We are just doing everything digital. 
um, just for systematic purposes. Um, but anything else outside of that, any endo, any surgical procedures, whatever it may be, uh, those will be referred out to our uh, referring doctors. I mean, I like that because you're just collaborating with the dentist in your area in a way that, you know, could just be a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's, 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 it's geared, it's designed to be a brand so that we are having these referring doctors be affiliated with our brand. Yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, it, it's neat to see that, that you're doing that. And I think a lot of times, a lot of people now are very critical of sort of the, the other big corporate people that are doing a similar thing. And look, you know, back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, change is, is inevitable. Right. And uh, it, it's, it's neat to see that you are staying in front of the wave with that instead of waiting until you get taken out to like kind of yeah. pick yourself up and figure out like what happened five years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's, it's a very progressive approach to, you know, what, what is the best way to, to offer treatment and in a competitive way. And that's how you remain relevant in, in any market. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy how uh, people are super informed about clearliner therapy these days. That um, <laughs> like, before you know, a blink of an eye, the first thing that people want now is clearliner therapy. I mean, if you think about it, most people don't even go to the dentist anymore. <laughs> they go straight to uh, in the, 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 these uh, locations to get treatment, um, and then they forego seeing dentists sometimes. You know, and uh, most, yeah, I, I I don't know from personal experience, but I would imagine that a lot of orthodontists start treatments prior to clearing them for treatments. You know, so so I think that um, that's interesting too, right? That there there has been a mass trend and mass uh, uh, trend forward, just making sure that people are getting. Um, their teeth straightened, right? There are so many corporations now that are starting to own sort of a technology. It's, just, it's, it's unreal how much plastic can move teeth. <laughs> I'm wearing Invisalign right now too, actually. <laughs> it's also like, you know, sometimes that we're having like a bunch of small humans at our house and I walk downstairs, I'm like, who's in charge here? And I'm like, oh, none of you are in charge. This is a bad scenario. So at least in your model, Lewis, without going down into the whole discussion of all the DIY stuff going on, uh, Rob, one of Rob's favorite terms. But, you know, what I think is cool is like you're supervising this, like use Rob's world. It's like you're the lifeguard of this world where there's dentists who are knowledgeable. And when people are coming in asking for what they want, you also can infuse what they need responsibly, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I mean, part perfect. of that is uh, being. I mean, I, I think the focus is on really wellness, you know, right? And into lifestyle to have good oral health and to maintain that is. I mean, most people would think about, in, especially in New York City, everything is all like wellness based, right? You could you can go to anything. It's all about all the physical, the whole body, whole health, whole whole health experience, right? Um, and teeth is no different from that. You know, doing working on teeth are, is is no different from uh, making teeth healthy and the mouth healthy is no different. So uh, we're trying to incorporate that kind of you know, that concept is that you know anything that happens in the mouth is really going to manifest in the body. So um, it's a different spin on dentistry. I also think we should go easier on our patients to some degree because they're just people. Surprise, surprise! Patients are people. Dentists were kind of people. Um, but my point is that a lot of dentists you see on the Facebook groups, like a patient. A person wants to get their teeth straightened. We shouldn't criticize them because people want to go to a trainer and get in shape for the beach. So if you went to a trainer and said, I got to get in shape for this summer. And they said, well, we're going to stretch for a while. You know, they're not going to be engaged. So it's, it's a combination of saying, you know, giving them what they want in a responsible way. You know, we can get in shape for the summer, but it's also important to work on your flexibility. And that's why I think your model is just, you know, really 
fit, fitting that niche that you guys have developed. So I uh, compliment you. Thank you. It's, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's good to be having people who are on the same board who have a similar mindset that is uh, that dentistry shouldn't be too expensive, right? I mean, uh, I mean, I can't imagine like if I were to go to a practice and say, "Hey, here's ten thousand dollars to get your teeth straight," and I'm like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> At least for me, as a as a as a financially uh, set, like more financially uh, budget friendly person. <laughs> And so, Lewis, are you in that practice on a, on a regular basis, or how do you split your time between the uh, the practice in Greenwich Village and the practice in, in Edgewater, New Jersey? So, I spend my time, uh, I kind of split my time in both, um, half and half. Uh, so, I work and I associate two days a week, um, and then the other two days, uh, so I associate Sunday and Mondays. Uh, yeah, Sundays, I work. Sundays are really busy days. Um, and then Tuesday, Wednesdays, I'm in my Edgewater practice. Uh, and Thursdays, I'm in the Greenwich office. But we'll be opening our uh, doors up to Fridays and Saturdays soon, too. So I'll be there as well. That's great. Lewis has a very busy schedule. I also want to ask you, Lewis, um, you, you've been kind of to speak for us and, and I want to develop like you ever see Ocean's Eleven where they have the crew of uh, of people I want to do that for speakers but we don't have to rob, rob anything we can just go to Elvez and Rob is on the team he's tenured uh, he's non-paid tenured position on the speaking team um, but uh, you know <laughs> what does that mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just means you have to come and you come and do you, you know, still get the margaritas? yeah now? you get okay. the margaritas you can get right. the fringe benefits <laughs> that's good that's, but that's I, all I'm interested I'm in I'm really passionate about building up other speakers and you know we had Todd Fleischman here who you know uh, when I asked him to speak at first he was not like oh cool i'll do that because dennis don't do that he's like i don't know if i want to do that so i've helped him and he's just uh, been amazing and be a boost uh speaker this week and boost camp speaker and you're going to be a new dance boost camp speaker tell us a little bit about your speaking journey and uh where that's brought you i think it's so important that younger people are involved with speaking and teaching but it's becoming a bit of a lost art uh because there's not the incentive that there used to be to do it so just share with us a little bit about that uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I've always been, like, from my, you know, from my desire, commitment to teaching and education, I've always wanted to do it in me. I, I as soon as I found, uh, you know, reached that revelation that teaching was something that I loved and giving back was something I loved to do, uh, I knew that I needed to do that in dentistry. So um, I started my kind of, like, speaking career kind of just, like, you know, as, you know, as many study clubs, some lectures, some, um, uh, uh, like, clubs in schools, so on and so forth. So it kind of helped bring, you know, increase my, uh, or train my public speaking skills, which still is a work in progress. I think it's always a work in progress. And then, and then I met you, and I was, it was really my first time going to Philadelphia speaking, so um, that was a great opportunity for me to kind of learn to engage with others, um, both live and as well in person. And then since then, uh, I've been on a journey with you uh, to the New Dennis Boot Camps, and uh that kind of lecturing for your clubs. And I, I would like to point out, you know, not everybody wants to get up like me, like 50 to 100 times a year speaking. I love it. It's really actually my favorite thing to do. But he, what I share with is it really makes you better with presenting to patients and people. So I encourage all dentists, you know, take a Toastmasters course. Even I, I, have, I have this wonderful, I've had two great speaker coaches, Carol Kivler and Karen Cortell Reisman, but Karen Cortell Reisman I've had recently. And uh, when I was doing her training for my uh, transition presentations because I just needed to put one together fairly quickly all I kept thinking was she should be training dentists how to talk to people because that's that's the magic and I encourage our listeners like you know even if you don't want to speak at a study club I encourage you to do so that that type of exercise right to use that is just so valuable in how you present to patients 
You know, I absolutely, I think that, uh, I think I always uh, tell my team, like, verbiage is everything, you know, like, it's the way you uh, present yourself and the content, the way you present your content, it's, it's, it, there's always a way to be better with how you present your material and present your kind of thoughts and ideas. Um, I've always loved to do that because I think that's always an internal challenge for me to be very effective with uh, condensing all the information, maybe a couple sentences. Uh, I'm, still, I'm still learning and I think it's always fun. Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar to my profession, too, that, you know, a good presentation gives you credibility, right? you know, yeah, and, right. and credibility. And when you're trying to build a relationship of trust, whether it's an attorney client relationship or a doctor patient relationship is just based on people's trust. in yeah. you. And, you know, it's not like any of us are trying to sell something that these people don't need. Right. It doesn't it was not in their best interest. But, you know, it's how we project that is and how that's perceived is, you know, is going to have a great impact on the decisions they make as to whether they're going to get certain treatment or sign up for certain services that they that is really in their best interest and will benefit them. Totally. I mean, I've said this all the time. The reason I I mean, Rob has helped me many a times with my, you know, expansions, practices and whatever fees I pay to an attorney. I win more than that. Right. Because I'm getting my, you know, business life change. So when I talk to a patient and I'll do this at the boost camp with one of my uh, keep cases and add a new one in, I don't, I'm totally confident because I know I'm helping them more than they're helping me. I mean, they're just giving me money and I'm changing their life. So I respect that they're investing their money, but I'm just excited to the changing life part. And I think they sense that, right? And I think dental school just doesn't make you confident that what you're, it's very weird and toxic. It doesn't make you confident that you're helping them and you almost should feel bad you're charging them. When if you go to your patients who've had this done, they would tell anyone else like, oh yeah, it's worth the money to do it the right way. So I think that's, you know, a key, uh, key part that I just like that, that message out to younger and younger dentists. Uh, so they really can enjoy their career more. No, I think you're right. I mean, it boils down like I, I've always wanted to uh, in, in dental, for instance, like in dental school, even though I had finished my requirements very, very early on in my fourth year, I just love to, you know, see patients. I just love to be learning the craft more and more under the supervision of faculty because, I mean, when you're in private practice, no one's going to help you hold your hand, you know? So I figured I might as well get my hand held for as long as I can. And even when I, until I, the day I graduated, I was still in clinic um, to finish some cases, but not because I you know, needed to, but because I wanted to. And I think that kind of translated to everything else I did. And um, that ball, it kind of ties in with teaching because um, I think that the, the and, and public speaking and going to be uh, lecturing is that some, most people don't have a desire to do it. I think, like you said, it is a lost art, but I think there are very few and far between people nowadays that still, who, who love to do this. Um, and there are, there are a lot of old timers in the industry who continue to do it, right? But there's, as we all know, there will be a turnover, and the question is who will be the next turnover? Um, it's going to be you, Lewis. So I'm very tired. You have to have a dental's nachos t-shirt yeah. on and sit across I, the room. I do. I wear it. I wear it to bed every day. Thanks. Thanks. thanks uh, so now you're going to add a, a dental amigos t-shirt yeah, to your I mean, collection. Yeah, which is, yes. Yes. We'll, we'll deliver hand deliver this weekend. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> hey, Lois, thanks, uh, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be on the show. If uh, if people want to reach out uh, to you, how how's the best way to do that? 
uh, they can uh, you can shout uh, you know give me a shout out uh, on uh, Instagram, which is at Doctor T R dot L E W I S C H E N Doctor Lewis Chen and and or you can just email me at lewischenddds at gmail.com. Sounds good. Thanks for taking the time, Lewis. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lewis. All right, of course. All right, take care, guys. So another Dr. Nacho in the making here, a young dentist who's very invested in, and focused on, uh, on education. Which it was is your advice, Rob. Learn, to my, learn how to replace myself, so I'm doing it. You know? mm-hmm. Soon, soon you know, I'll, 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 I'll have a new Nacho Disciples everywhere. But no, he's, <laughs> he's awesome, Louis. I, I saw him at the Great New York Dental Meeting, uh, and uh, just what he's doing is great, energetic young guy. D- delivering the right message uh love that you know he wants to be involved with speaking we need we need more of these people in our in our industry uh doing this yeah and it doesn't have to be like a selfless thing either i mean you right. really can improve yourself and your practice by making that that investment in time and you know he was talking about the fact that he realized even at a younger age i guess when he was in college or uh high school even, yeah you know that really what the the dividend was on that it goes beyond just the money that you're paid i mean if if you it makes there's a certain accountability that you have to have you know to teach and and you and, and I think also, as we said, you know, it almost becomes like a mantra. You know, if you say the right way to do it and teach people the right way to do it enough times, then it's really hard for you then to go back I totally. think, clinically and do it the wrong way, right? Very true. It's it's uh, it's been great, and it makes you sort of revisit your your roots. And out, and a lot of times, it, what's just for our industry and for every industry, you stay in touch with the youngest people in it, which is just so important, yeah. you know, for a variety of reasons. Well, and not least of which is learning, right? right? And like learning and the ability to learn and pick up new things is the ultimate, you know, growth mindset that allows you to continue to evolve professionally. And I think, you know, currently, you know, the greatest expression of that is that, you know, here he is, you know, Dr. Chen and some, you know, some partners, they're not complaining about the fact that there are these, you know, big corporate, you know, storefront, you know, ortho only operations. They're trying to figure out a way to, to be better than that yeah, and compete to, against to, that. To, to exist and, and do their own thing. So I, I think that's great. Yeah, thanks. thanks Good sir. stuff. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.